So we're in a series on the resistance, the church and its mission. Our hope, as I prayed, is that we can go back to Jesus so that we can go forward and on with God. Our desire is to be the church that Jesus desires, to be his church. It is his church. Jesus loves the church. He gave his life for the church, and and our hope is that we can be that church. May we be that. Those qualities, as, as we have been walking through the resistance, the church and its mission, I pray that we would continue to do that well. We started on the island of Patmos, where John was exiled. Church tradition tells us that the Romans initially tried to kill John by boiling him in a vat of oil. Unsuccessful, they then banished him to the uninhabited island of Patmos. So John is on this uninhabited island. He's lonely in an inhospitable place. He is there, and as we read Revelation 1, I love this part, He's in this difficult location, but we see that he's in the Spirit. His eyes are fixed on Jesus. His pleasure is fellowship with God. That is our admonition as well, that we live in a world that's full of conflict. We live in a fallen world, but we have to arrive at the place where we can then keep our eyes on Jesus, that we can walk in the Spirit and be his. We then jumped on a boat, so we start on the island of Patmos. There's the map. We jumped on a boat and headed toward Ephesus. And in Ephesus, what we found as we went and visited this place, Paul stayed there for two years. I'm going to grab a music stand real quick, if I could. Does he have it? Oh, just kidding. I'm sorry, man. Naren, you're too fast. Thanks, bud. All with a hurt foot. Thanks, Naren. We went hiking. We didn't look at a map. So I was with with Michael and Naren. Let me say this. We did look at a map. We thought it said three miles. Well, we walked for a long time. And Aaron really does have a hurt. I think it's Achilles. Um, And he had Cooper, who's three. So we had hiked, I mean, for a good stretch. And Nate, who's nine, he's got lots of energy. I, I can't ever wear that kid down. He even said, I'm ready to get back to the cabin. Well, we keep hiking and hiking and hiking. And we look at the map, and we're like, this is not marked right. So we keep hiking and hiking and hiking. And, well, it's ours. And we finally get back to the cabin. So Michael looks at his phone and says, yeah, you want to know how far we hiked? And I'm like, yeah, that would be great. He's like, yeah, it was almost nine miles. <laughs> All that to say, if you want to go hiking with us, you might want to read the map ahead of us. <laughs> Otherwise, get ready for a long hike. So we are now in Ephesus. We boarded that boat. We head to Ephesus. And we found in 1 John 4... We discover that to love like God is a visible expression of him to the world. This is important. And the next stop was a harbor town 40 miles north. We headed up on a road to Smyrna, the church called to suffer. And we looked at Romans chapter 5 to learn our assignment as the church is not to rid the world of suffering. Our calling is to rejoice in it. It's a hard truth. Now this morning we're going to turn our attention to the third letter, the letter to the church in Pergamum. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles in the seats underneath you or in front of you. Uh, So feel free, if you don't have one, take that home with you. We invite that as a gift to you from the church. Uh, But I'm going to invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to continue where we left off two weeks ago with the church in Smyrna. 
And so Revelation chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 12 to 17. So I'm going to also invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. We uh, hold the word of God high. We don't worship it, but we revere the fact that God gave us his word. And so just out of respect, we're going to stand for that reading. The message given to the church in Pergamum is important for our church today. So Revelation chapter 2, reading from verses 12 to 17. says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp, two-edged sword. What is the sword that Jesus is referring to? The word of God. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Galatians. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. These are the very words of God. I invite you to be seated this morning. So now from Smyrna, so we were in Patmos, went to Ephesus, went to Smyrna. We head further north along that postal road, approximately 70 miles north along the fertile valley of the Caicos River to the majestic city of Pergamum. Built on a hill a thousand feet high, the city dominated the surrounding area. As the first capital of the Roman province of Asia, Pergamum had an element of importance. The name Pergamum means citadel. The city maintained a 2,000 200,000 plus volume library, second only to the library at Alexandria. In fact, they were growing so large, it's understood that Egypt, where Alexandria lies, stopped sending papyrus paper to the Pergamum because they didn't want their library to get bigger than Alexandria. Well, that didn't stop Pergamum. They took matters into their own hands and they perfected the production of parchment paper made from the hide of animals so they could continue their vast library. When we went and visited as a family, they actually had shops set up where you could buy pieces of parchment paper just to, as a token of having visited Pergamum. A spectacular part of the city was the upper terrace of the citadel with its sacred and royal buildings. In one remarkable site, there was the altar of Zeus jutting out near the top, an altar that resembled a throne, which actually now sits in Germany. The Nazis, in particular Adolf Hitler, thought this throne might hold special power, so they took it and transported it to Germany, so it sits there today. Pergamum was one of the earliest to establish the Roman imperial cult. Besides imperial worship, the three main religions involved Athena, the goddess of heroic endeavor, Dionysus, the god of royal kings symbolized by a bull, and Asclepius, the savior god of healing represented by a snake, an interesting symbol for us as Christians. Asclepius, the god of healing, is normally pictured carrying a serpent around a staff. That would not be Aaron based on his story today temple dedicated to him drew people from distant areas suffering from afflictions. It was a place of alternative medicine. In fact, it's thought that the snake symbol used in medicine today came from uh, Asclepius. Galen, the most famous medical doctor of the second century, was a native to Pergamum. And although the cult of Asclepius ran counter to Christian beliefs of healing in the name of Jesus, 
Galen had positive things to say about the Christians who drew their faith from the parables of Jesus. We see that in the history books. So Pergamum contained a throne-like altar to Zeus, maintained the worship of many gods, one represented by a snake. And from this letter this morning, it was a place where Satan dwelled, making it a challenging place to follow the one true God. But King Jesus commends the church for remaining a faithful witness in a pagan community. They had not yielded to the pressure of burning incense to the Roman emperor and saying, Caesar is Lord. But even though the church in Pergamon remained faithful in the midst of severe opposition, some church members compromised, perhaps to avoid the fate of Antipas. They disregarded the apostolic instructions to abstain from eating food offered to idols and to abstain from sexual immorality. Some may even have participated in public festivities and demonstrated support in this way. They represented what Craig Rochelle has labeled Christian atheists. They claim to believe in God, to know Christ, but live as if he doesn't exist. They had knowledge of God, but did not exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. They saw the testimony of Antipas, a person killed, willing to give the ultimate witness as a martyr, and decided that was too radical a faith to follow. So they allowed cultural norms to dictate their Christian reality. The Bible was no longer their roadmap. It was simply another book comparable to the books in their large city library. We have the same challenge today. People who come to church on Sunday, walk away unchanged, go about life as though God doesn't exist. They continue to allow the world to dictate dictate their priorities in life and, and how they are to express their faith in God. They don't really live out the greats. They don't make the great commandment and the great commission priorities. Genuinely loving God and their neighbor and making his name famous to the ends of the earth is not important to these people. They're content to carry on as a good person, living a good, comfortable life, paying no attention to the thousands around them, living without the promise of eternity through Jesus, the Son of God. But Jesus tells the church in Pergamum, a church full of Christian atheists, to repent. If not, he will come and war against them with the sword of his mouth. And what is that sword? The word of God. So he's saying he's going to come and invade this church with his word of truth. Because the church is called to truth. Shelly and I, we led a connect group in the spring around David Platt's book, Counter Culture. Really good book. His introduction lays out well the challenge before the church as it relates to being both courageous and compassionate. It's an interesting balance. Here's what he writes. I am greatly encouraged when I see compassion, conviction, and courage in the church today. As I listen to the way contemporary Christians talk, I perceive fierce opposition to injustice regarding the poor, the orphan, and the enslaved. I observe increased awareness of social issues, a plethora of books written, conferences organized, and movements started that revolve around fighting hunger, alleviating poverty, and ending sex trafficking. In the middle of it all, I sense deep dissatisfaction with indifference in the church. We simply aren't content with a church that turns a blind eye and a deaf ear to the realities of social injustice in the world. We want our lives and the church to count for social justice. So that's the commendation. But here's what he also says. Yet while I'm deeply encouraged by the expressed zeal of so many Christians for certain social issues, I'm profoundly concerned by the lack of zeal among these same Christians for other social issues. 
on popular issues like poverty and slavery, where Christians are likely to be applauded for our social action, we are quick to stand up and speak out. Yet on controversial issues like defining marriage and abortion, where Christians are likely to be criticized for our involvement, we are content to sit down and stay quiet. It's as if we decided to pick and choose which social issues we'll contest and which we'll concede. And our picking and choosing normally revolves around what is most comfortable and least costly for us in our culture. But what if Christ commands us to make these issues our concern? And what if Christ's call in our lives is not to comfort in our culture? What if Christ in us actually compels us to counter our culture? Not to quietly sit and watch evolving cultural trends and not to subtly shift our views and changing cultural tides, but to courageously share and show our convictions through what we say and how we live, even or especially when these convictions contradict the popular positions of our day. And here's how he concludes, and I love this, and to do all of this not with conceited minds or calloused hearts, but with the humble compassion of Christ on constant display in everything we say and do. Here's what we find here. The church in Ephesus, do you remember what it was called to? What was the church in Ephesus called to? Here's your review. Love. The church in Ephesus was called to love. The church in Pergamum is called to truth. What you find is love becomes sentimental if it is not strengthened by truth. And truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. We must see both truth and love working together to bring hope and healing to the world. To be like Jesus, you must speak truth in love. Paul addresses this topic in his letter to the church in Ephesus. Here's what he writes. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. There is my one-sentence job description. My job is to equip God's people to do his work, and to build up the body of Christ. That's my role. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature, like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Three things to share. The first is this. To be like Jesus, you must speak truth and love as a leader. Jesus gave the church gifts in the form of leaders to encourage you to be united in purpose, growing in spiritual maturity, becoming more like him. And what we find at the end of the section related to spiritual maturity is it culminates with believers speaking truth in love and by doing so, becoming a reflection of Jesus to the world. So part of my job, the task of every pastor on staff is to help everyone that's a part of Connection Point to become more like Jesus by speaking truth in love. So I want to tie that into the church at Pergamum and the letter Jesus writes for them. So first, I want to frame the love piece, sharing truth in love. God has laid out in this book, the Bible, his word, his best plan for your life, his best plan for everyone's life. Not a book of do's and don'ts, but a book 
that leads to life everlasting. I've lived enough years, interacted with enough people, seen great marriages, couples that go on mission for him, seen broken marriages, marriages that fall apart, people that are committed to seeing the gospel go to the ends of the earth, and those that just carry on day to day as though Christ really hasn't made a difference in their life. And here's what I've convinced of. This is the truth. We live in a fallen world. We know this. Every cell in our being has been affected. That's why we have cancer. Why our world is so broken and in need of divine healing. And the good news is that the just and gracious creator of the universe has looked upon hopelessly sinful men and women like you and I and has sent his son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to bear our sin on the cross and to show his power over sin in the resurrection so that everyone who turns from their sin in themselves and trusts in Jesus as Savior and Lord will be reconciled to God forever. This is a story that's laid out in this book of life with instructions on how we can best live from now until eternity because eternity starts now. We don't pass into eternity. We're starting from now. God's best for your life is in this book. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And so it then becomes my opportunity, becomes your opportunity to put your faith in God, to trust in him and say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. I will keep my eyes fixed on you and throne you in my heart, leaving no room for anything else to reside there so I can fulfill your God-given desires for my good and for your glory. That's the love of God. This book lays it out for you. And here's the truth. I know there are some in this room, very likely, who are not honoring God with your body. You've taken your eyes off Jesus and are endlessly searching, as we talked about last week, continually looking for other stimuli, like the members of the church in Pergamum, for ways to fill the God-shaped hole in your soul. Jesus told the church in Pergamum, there are those who practice sexual immorality. Heather and Aaron deal with this much on the island of Madagascar. Now, I don't want to make you uncomfortable this morning. That's not the goal. John, the one responsible for writing Revelation, he shares in John three seventeen, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I'm not here to condemn people. I'm here to lead people to life. My job is to build up the body of Christ, which involves inviting you to live as God intended, for your good and for his glory. If you're here and you've not been honoring God with your body, I invite you to start today. God's design for sex is within the context of a biblical marriage. He knows it's the safest space for you to experience this level of bonding with another person and to avoid broken relationships and the sorrow and the lack of joy that follows. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't talk about hard topics. So please know, because I love you, I'll always talk about hard topics. We must speak truth as Jesus does in the concept of love. So if you're in a relationship that does not honor God, I encourage you to make a commitment to live according to a biblical view of life. Whether you're single or married, save all forms of sexual intimacy for your husband or wife and save yourself a lot of hurt. If you're a leader, make it a priority to speak truth in love. Because to be like Jesus, you must speak truth in love. And to be like Jesus, you must speak truth in love with the church. 
Jesus gave very honest, critical feedback to each of the seven churches in Revelation. He told the church in Pergamum, I have a few things against you. He praises Pergamum for their faithfulness amidst persecution. He tells them, to the one who conquers, to the ones who remain faithful and hold to my truth, you will be granted entrance into the great banquet where joy and celebration will follow. But Jesus doesn't dodge the truth. He speaks truth in love with the church. From our passage in Ephesians, verse 13 relates, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Church is a community of believers. You should know that by now. This building is not Connection Point Church. You are Connection Point Church. If I go to Subway tomorrow for lunch and ask, as I'm asked by someone, where's Connection Point Church? I can tell them, well, I think Leon's on his farm. I think Michael's on his way to Tennessee. I think Gina's helping at the dentist office. The church is wherever you are at amidst your day-to-day activities. And God wants us together, working in unity towards spiritual maturity. You may make a decision to follow Jesus by yourself, but you should know by now that you grow in Christ with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. But part of the challenge is, you know, we like rugged individualists. They, they make whole series on them as you look at TV shows. The Lone Rangers, the I-can-do-it-myself go-getters. But in reality, individualism is a mark of immaturity. Let's say it again. Individualism is a mark of immaturity. Because here's what individualism says. I don't want to have to consider others. It's my way or the highway. I'm smarter than you. You don't know what you're talking about. You're unimportant to me. You do not add value to my life. Basically, I'm better off without others around me. How prideful is that? And what a lie we tell ourselves. Does that sound like the kingdom of God? Does it? No, not at all. Jesus loves the church. He gave his life for her. And the church is a collection of people on mission for him. So you're either a part of that or you're not. You're in or you're out. You either made a decision to follow Jesus, have been baptized into him and his church, or you haven't. You're walking the narrow road that leads to life or the wide path that leads to destruction. There is no third way. If you're walking the narrow path, the good news is you have fellow travelers, and not just in theory, but the people sitting in this room. They're walking with you. And part of that journeying on this narrow path together Growing in unity and maturity involves being honestly challenged by other believers. But truth is meant to be shared in love. Keep that in mind. Because the goal is always transformation, not just confrontation. Life changes what Jesus desires. It is that iron sharpening iron opportunity that only happens through the regular interaction of believers. And truth shared in love. Truth shared with the goal of seeing that person become more like Jesus is the kind of truth needed within the church. So when you see a brother or sister from Connection Point turn off the narrow path, changing course, speak truth in love and guide them back onto the well-lit path that leads to life. When someone begins to talk about another member of Connection Point, remind them we're all in this together. Everyone matters in the kingdom of God. Do not ignore problems you see in someone else's life. They rarely go away by themselves without someone else calling attention to them. Speak truth and love with the church. And to be like Jesus, you must speak truth and love in the world. 
As immaturity is left behind again, the goal is maturity. You have the ability to better discern truth from error. This is something the church in Pergamum seemed to struggle with. They were something not speaking truth and love within the church, bringing others into maturity. And so people began to negatively be influenced by the world around them. Jesus said, you have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. I'm willing to speak truth and love and desire for each one of you to speak truth and love with one another because I know that helps guard us as a church from error. We need it. And here's what scripture tells us. Speaking truth and love within the church is required to then have the ability to speak truth and love in the rest of the world. When you truly love God and people, it's not hard to speak truth and love. I love all the people in our neighborhood. We live in Wake Robin, and I don't even know all of them yet. I love all the people at Purdue. I love all the people in the greater Lafayette area because God gives you that love for people that you cannot naturally have on your own. Everyone made in the image of God. He desires for them to be adopted into his family. His will is that none would perish, but that all would be reconciled to their creator. But he can't force them, for that's not love. So God whispers throughout creation, come to me, follow me. Stop chasing after things that cannot satisfy your soul cravings and return to me. Jeremiah says, I, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Paul writes in Romans, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. God calls out to every person, I want you as my own. I sent my son to die on a cross as your substitute so that you might have a relationship with me. Come. And because of this, because I know that God is for me, not against me, because I know God is for the world and not against it, I know that I can go forth into our community and share and talk about hard truths. I can talk about abortion and let them know. It is not God's will that that child be aborted. Jeremiah 1.5 speaks to that. I can talk with others about so-called same-sex marriage and let them know it's not of God's design. It doesn't make me intolerant. In fact, it makes me loving according to Scripture because I want that person right with God so that they might live in eternity with him. And when you look through that lens and understand by ignoring someone else's evil in their life, their sin in their life, they are then no longer going to have a relationship with God. How unloving can we be to not speak truth in love? Now, I don't go looking for a fight. I don't go looking for arguments. Jesus never did. I've never known someone to make a decision to follow Jesus through argument. I simply haven't. But I have had many people choose to follow Jesus when they understood that I truly wanted God's best for their life, to live eternally with him. When they understood God was for them, not against him, that he had a wonderful plan for their life, all of a sudden things began to change and their perspective began to shift, and it's important. So I ask, have you made loving others a priority? When you're at work and conversations come up that run counter to biblical truth, find ways to share truth and love. When you host neighbors for a cookout, which I encourage you to do, if you don't know your neighbors, please start to get to know your neighbors. Write a sheet, put it on your fridge of the names of your neighbors. It helps you to know who they are. Invite them over for a cookout. Talk about matters of faith. It can make an eternal difference in their life. To be like Jesus, you must speak truth in love. 
You know, as our family stood on the hilltop in Turkey, on the Acropolis where Pergamum was. So the Acropolis, basically these cities were all built on high places because they could be defended. And Pergamum really was a majestic site. But as we looked out, we could see no steeples. No visible presence of Christianity in a town that had once received a personal letter from Jesus. Christian atheism eventually took over, and a witness for Jesus evaporated. The church chose not to be faithful, like Antipas. What you find in almost every letter to these seven churches is that the promise that if the church does not return to what Jesus expects of his church, their lampstand, their light, will be removed. In other words... What Jesus is saying is, is you will no longer be my representation to the world if you do not follow my expectations for the church. The church that does not love, that does not embrace suffering, that does not share the truth. These are the churches that Jesus says, I can remove your light, I will remove my presence from you. We need to make his priorities our priorities. His joys must be our joys. His mission must be our mission. Otherwise, his light is removed from the church. But what could Connection Point look like if we were willing to truly speak truth and love with all of our brothers and sisters in the church? What could our communities look like, our families look like, if we began to do that knowing, I want God's best for your life. God's design may not be the way that you're living, but I promise he has a better life for you as you follow his word. It may seem hard, it may seem like it's difficult, but know there's joy on the other side of that. Truth and love. Shelly and I truly love this church. I was, uh, as we were camping this weekend, Michael's son, he asked, do you like Connection Point Church? <laughs> I thought, what a funny question. Yes, I could tell him, we love the church. Uh, you as the church, uh, we're grateful for the building, but we are absolutely blessed by the people. We had such a joy last night, we got to hang out with the crew that had gone down to the Dominican Republic in February. What a joy that we have people that say, King Jesus, I want to serve you wherever we can serve you. And they love to hear the testimony of the progress they were able to make in a church that was down there. You're a wonderful church, but we have to be committed to speaking truth and love to one another. May that never cease as we dive into God's word all that much more. And I close with asking a couple of questions. Could you be honest with yourself today and recognize that you have been living as a Christian atheist? But do you have a desire to change all of that today? To move from living as a Christian atheist to now a devoted follower of Jesus like Pergamum's faithful Antipas. So I'm going to first invite us to stand. We're going to close here in a minute and close in song. And I'm going to invite the music team to come and begin to play. And so I ask if you're here today. And you've been living as a Christian atheist. But you're ready to be devoted, rightly living for God. I'm going to invite you to come down here this morning as we close and as they sing, and the prayer team's going to come behind you and pray. And I know in doing that, you could say, well, that's embarrassing. I don't want to come down to the front. But here's what I know. You're in a room of people that are 100% for you, that want to see you living God's best for your life. And if you can't step out from here and receive prayer here, there's no way you're going to have the strength to live counterculturally from Jesus when you step out of these doors. So as the music team comes and they're going to begin to play, I just encourage you to step out where you're at. You want to say, you know what? I've simply come on a Sunday, but I haven't really been following his word. But I want to make a commitment today. I know there's something that happens when somebody steps out and does something in a physical nature and comes forward to say, I want to be committed. Jesus will come and give you the strength you need to live an empowered life in his name. So music team, I invite you to sing. 
And if that is you this morning, I'm going to invite you to come. Prayer team, please come in behind them, begin to pray for people. Heather and Aaron, Shelly and I will do the same. So come. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I share that there's only two ways. You're either walking the narrow road that leads to life, or you're on that wide path that leads to destruction. And I just invite you today to walk on that path, that well-lit path that leads to life. So if you're here today, I'm going to ask for every head to be bowed here. If you could bow your heads, and you would say, you know what? I really haven't made a decision to follow Christ, to make him Lord and Savior of my life. We are given that promise that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, that's the important piece, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so we just want to be able to pray with you this morning. So if that's you here today, I just encourage you, raise your hand, that we might be able to pray with you and pray that the Lord would lead you well in life. If that's you, feel free to raise your hand say, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want a relationship with him. I want to be reconnected with my creator. Anyone here today that would say, that's me. I need a relationship. Yes, there's a hand here in the middle. Anybody else? Anybody else that would say yes to Jesus today? I want to follow you. I want to live life everlasting with you. Any other hands here this morning? Lord, I just pray for each and every one in this room, I pray that we'd be committed to you. Jesus, for this person that has said, I want a relationship with you, I want to devote my life to you, I pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom that as they step forward. Lord, we'll give them a Bible and give them instructions, but it's up to them. Because you love them, you don't force your love upon them. It is a free gift, but they have to receive it. They have to take it as their own. And so, God, I pray that you'd firm up faith. I pray, Lord, that you would bless each and every one as they go. I pray that you would restore relationships between husband and wife, between parent and child, between grandparent and grandchild. Reconciliation, Lord, we pray. We pray for peace. We pray for your shalom over every home in this place. God, as we go from here, may we speak truth and love and make an eternal difference because of it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are the person that rose your hand this morning, raise your hand. Deanne is up here in the front in the red shirt. I'd love for you just to connect with her. She wants to give you a Bible and just material to say, hey, where do I go from here? It's not a one-time decision. It's a lifetime of running the race well. And so if that was you, please come talk with Deanne, and she'll get the material for you and pray with you and answer any questions you might have. And as you leave from this place, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he fill you with his mercy and grant you his peace. Go with God today.